And we're turning uh, tonight uh, in the Bible to the Old Testament, to the, uh, the book of Psalms. And we're going to read uh, together Psalm, uh, Psalm 1 and uh, consider this psalm tonight uh, as God's people. So if you turn there with me, uh, Psalm 1, the entranceway uh, into the Psalter, uh, setting before us some of the great themes uh, as you've read through the Scripture, you've read the Psalter before. Uh, Psalm 1 sets many of the great themes before us that will be uh, brought out in many other ways as well. So tonight we want to consider this psalm. So reading from Psalm 1, this is the word of the living God. Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers, but his delight is in the law of the Lord. And on his law he meditates day and night. He's like a tree planted by streams of water that yields its fruit in its season, and its leaf does not wither. In all that he does, he prospers. The wicked are not so, but are like chaff that the wind drives away. Therefore, the wicked will not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the congregation of the righteous. For the Lord knows the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked will perish. This is the word of the Lord. Let's uh, pray for his, for his help. Heavenly Father, oh Lord, we thank you that uh, as we come to Scripture, we do know you've told us that this is your, your word, uh, the breathed out uh, word of our God. And yet, Lord, we know that in our human frailty and in our weakness uh, and in our sin, Lord, it is not natural for us to read this book as your word. And so we need your help. And we need the Holy Spirit who first inspired men to write these words, uh, Lord, that uh, we would have the same work of the Holy Spirit tonight uh, to take these words we read and to help us to see them truly and that you would apply them to our hearts and lives as we go forth into a new week uh, to serve you in these days. And we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, one of the things we find out in the, uh, in the Psalter and uh, is put before us immediately here uh, in, in Psalm 1, but it comes true throughout the Scripture in many different ways, is that there's always this emphasis in the Scripture that there's two ways, there's two roads, there's two lives, uh, two soils in the New Testament, uh, two plants, two fruits, two roots, two directions, uh, and two, two destinies. This is a common theme throughout the Scripture. Jesus would say in Matthew 7:13, "...enter by the narrow gate." For the gate that is wide, and the, or the, for the gate is wide, and the way is easy that leads to destruction, and those who enter by it are many. For the gate is narrow, and the way is hard that leads to life, uh, and those who find it are few. Way of life, way of death is a common theme throughout the Scripture. Whether it's light and darkness, sin or righteousness, narrow gate or wide gate, righteous or wicked, life or death, uh, the Book of Psalms joins the rest of the Bible. In making it clear that all peoples are living, uh, traveling, journeying on only one of two roads. And one leads to life and the other uh, leads uh, to death and ends in, ends in destruction. Tonight we want to uh, take our cue for understanding this psalm by uh, considering a simile uh, used in verse 3. Uh, that the blessed man uh, is like a tree. 
And it's a good time for us to do that, of course, because after all, it is, uh, it is springtime, uh, time uh, to plant in many ways. And we see things blossoming around us. And so the first question we want to ask uh, from this psalm that this psalm makes us ask is, where are you planted? Where are you planted tonight? Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers, but his delight is in the law of the Lord, and on his law he meditates uh, day uh, and night. Bible commentator Dale Ralph Davis writes this, As if he has no concern whatever for decent marketing, the psalmist begins uh, with the negative. The righteous man is described uh, by what he shuns. The happy man, or the man enjoying God's blessing, is the separated man. A man who's not in neutral, but who has a bias against evil in all its forms. The three clauses are meant to say that the righteous man rejects the totality of evil. The counsel of the wicked has to do with a way of thinking, with forming plans, with a mindset and outlook. The way of sinners suggests their behavior, their actions and practices. The seat of the scoffers implies a kind of belonging where one settles most comfortably, perhaps with the scathing unbelief that wants no truck with godliness and faithlessness. If we look at these clauses, says Davis, as what is congenial to the wicked man, then we see the cues he follows, the direction he takes, uh, and the company uh, he uh, enjoys. But indeed, this psalm uh, starts with describing the blessed man, first of all, uh, negatively. Now, many have seen a, a note, noted a progression here in this psalm, whether in, in movement, walking, standing, and then sitting, uh, or in content, uh, counsel, that is thinking, the way, that is our action and behavior, uh, and then seat, being seated, or uh, sitting, that is taking your place among. Uh, but all of it, the most as we think about this, we all recognize this has to do with a person's uh, fundamental choice of allegiance being made and where they find themselves uh, at, at home. At home. And the Psalter, of course, uh, begins with a blessing. Blessed is the man who does not uh, find his home uh, in uh, such places. Uh, and uh, this blessing, of course, we're reminded uh, of the New Testament of Jesus' ninefold blessing in Matthew 5 in the Sermon on the Mount, pronouncing, Who is the blessed? Person. So here's the first thing. There is blessing. That is a supreme, supreme uh, happiness. Uh, that is the experiencing the, the delight of God, uh, the, the blessing of God upon our lives. There's supreme blessedness there uh, for a man, woman and child who is firmly committed uh, to not taking part in the thoughts, actions and identity of sinners, scoffers. The wicked, that is, those who are in opposition to God. So the first thing is that the psalm tells us that the blessed man is a, is a very countercultural kind of person. The blessed man is not somebody who finds himself at home in a world of sin. The blessed man or woman is not someone who tries to be at home in uh, a culture uh, of sin. Oh, the blessed man is someone who knows that uh, part of being blessed is that, that you know that you are not at home. Uh, in a culture defined so many ways uh, by sin and taking delight in sin and promoting sin and, and praising uh, sin. Uh, we're different. The blessed man recognizes that ever since the garden, there's a God-ordained opposition of the people of God 
to the works of Satan. Uh, we've been looking at that in Sunday school on Lord's Day morning, that it's God himself who will place enmity uh, or strife uh, between the seed of the woman and the seed of the serpent. It's meant to be that way. There is a great antithesis between the people of God uh, and, the, and those who are at home in sin and uh, in wickedness uh, and in evil. So clearly the follower of the true God, the believer in his son Jesus, uh, the one who is blessed is not someone who goes along uh, with the crowd. Paul describes this person who goes along with the crowd in Ephesians 4.14. You remember that passage? Tossed to and fro by every, every wind and every doctrine. They go, they go back and forth. Uh, they are like the driftwood on the ocean or a leaf on the ground. I think of Winnie the Pooh. I think you know those scenes in Winnie the Pooh where Winnie the Pooh is just out having a fun day and oh, he sees a leaf. And the leaf's being blown about in every way and then off goes Winnie the Pooh following the leaf, leading him into all sorts of trouble. Maybe, oh, you know, falls head over heels into the mud or something like that. So it happens when, you know, you follow what's blown about. By the way, Paul describes that. There's folks like that. And there's folks like that today going from one false teaching on the internet to the next. Uh, from one posting spouting error to another posting spouting error. And they can't get enough of it. And they go from one to the other. And the Bible remains closed. And they scroll and they scroll and they scroll. And they're blown here, hither, and yon. And uh, they're not rooted. And, um, and they're blown about. They're not firmly planted. Um, there's professing Christians like that too because they go from one church to another and they're never firmly planted in a local church. Never committed to a local church, but they're blown about from one, from one place uh, to another. And the psalmist describes that kind of person as someone who is thinking uh, like uh, the unbeliever thinks, that that's walking in the ways of the unbeliever and uh, you know, looking, looking out for number one. That's kind of how people live today if they're outside the Lord. Uh, and identifying with scoffers, belonging to those who mock the church, criticize other Christians, puffed up in pride, uh, taking our cues and talking points from unbelievers, going with the flow, being squeezed into the mold of the world, like Romans 12. The blessed man, the first thing this psalm says, the blessed man is not like that. The blessed man knows he is different. Augustine was once this kind of person. Uh, walking in the counsel uh, of the wicked. He wrote this in his confessions about that time of lostness, said Augustine. I went on my way headlong with such blindness that among my peer group, among his friends, I was ashamed, listen to what he says, I was ashamed not to be equally guilty of shameful behavior when I heard them boasting of theirs. Their pride was the more aggressive, the more debauched their acts were, they derived pleasure not merely from the lust of the act, but also from the admiration it evoked, the praise they got from others when they did it. What is more worthy of censure than vice? Yet, said Augustine, I went deeper into vice to avoid being despised. And listen to what he says. And when there was no act uh, by admitting to which I could rival my depraved companions, he says, I used to pretend I had done things I had not done at all, so that my innocence should not lead my companions to scorn my lack of courage, unless my chastity be taken as a mark of inferiority. Such, he says, were the companions with whom this is who he, who he was living with. 
Such were the companions with whom I made my way through the streets of Babylon. With them, he says, I rolled in its dung, as if rolling in spices and precious ointments. That was Augustine. Before, of course, the Lord uh, told him, take up and read. He reads the scripture. He's converted to faith in Christ and uh, is used of God so mightily in the history of the church. But he was there in that council, rolling around in the dung of Babylon. You know, many of our young people are tempted to feel that way. What Augustine said, you know, they hear, their, they hear other people saying, oh, we've done this and we're doing this, we're rebelling this way and that way. And many of our young people feel ashamed sometimes they haven't done it themselves. And uh, you're not with the in crowd unless you're rolling in the mire of, uh, what is it, 21st century uh, America as well. There's that temptation. But the blessed man, says the scripture, is not one who walks in the counsel of the wicked, nor who stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers. Well, who is he then, or who is she then? Well, on the positive side, uh, there's, there's a but here. But, instead, uh, what is the blessed man like? Well, his delight, her delight, is in the law of the Lord. And on his law he meditates uh, day and night. So it's not that the blessed man does not belong somewhere. He does. It's not that the blessed man doesn't have thoughts to think or a way to follow, uh, but instead of being planted among thorns and thistles, he's planted, the Bible says, in the good, clean soil uh, of God's word. Notice the blessed man's delight uh, is in the law or the Torah of the Lord, and he gives his thoughts, his time, and meditation and energy to that Torah, that instruction. Uh, so Torah, of course, means law, but it also means, if you think about the first five books of Moses, for instance, you've got history that teaches us. You've got sermons in the book of Deuteronomy that encourage us to apply God's law to our life. And, and uh, the blessed man simply meditates on the word of God. Now, the word meditate is kind of a fun word. Uh, it means really to, uh, to mutter or to murmur. To yourself, When you meditate, you're kind of muttering, uh, you're preoccupied with something, you're muttering and murmuring to yourself. So, for instance, if Lisa asked me to, um, to get something, uh, you know, as I come home from my study to get something at ShopRite or something like that, let's say milk, eggs, and cheese. So I'm sitting in my study, I'm saying to myself, milk, eggs, and cheese, milk, eggs, and cheese. I've got to remember this, milk, eggs, and cheese. And so I started in the car, I'm driving home, milk, eggs, and cheese, milk, eggs, and cheese, milk, eggs, and then I forget anyway. But the point is, the point is that's, what, that's what this meditating is. It's, it's muttering, murmuring to yourself. The psalmist will do it a lot, won't he? He speaks to his own soul. Uh, he mutters and murmurs the Word of God to his own soul again and again and again. And again. That's what the blessed man is like. The Word of God uh, fills his heart and mind and he meditates on it. He um, mulls over it, reminds himself of it and herself of it all the time. All the time. How does this happen? Why would you ever do such a thing? John Stott put it this way. This delight that the blessed man has in the law of the Lord is an indication of the new birth. For the sinful mind, the Bible says in Romans 8, the sinful mind is hostile to God. It does not submit to God's law, nor can it do so. As a result, said Stott, of the inward regenerating work of the Holy Spirit, however... The godly find that they love the law of God, listen to this, simply because it conveys to them the will of their God. They do not rebel against its exacting demands. Their whole being approves and endorses it. Delighting in it, the godly will meditate in it or pour over it constantly 
uh, day and night. It is, after all, instruction from our Father. So this is the blessed man, not, not, not walking, standing, sitting, belonging uh, in the world of sin, but recognizes, no, this, my life is all about pouring over, muttering over, murmuring over the delightful Word of God that He has given to me, which itself is life. But Scott says, if you do that, that itself is evidence that you have been born of God. Because you do not, and I do not delight in the law of the Lord, the Word of the Lord, uh, in my own natural self. But when the Holy Spirit is at work, uh, you open the Bible and, uh, and you know it's the word of your Father. And you find great uh, delight in it. Uh, we don't naturally delight in the law of the Lord, just like uh, non-Dutch people don't naturally love Dutch droppies. Right? But when you're given a, when you become, when you get an acquired taste for a doubles out droppy, you want more. You want more. You have the taste. Uh, So it is when we delight in the law of the Lord. This is the blessed man. Uh, We need to be planted there uh, in his word. Well, what fruit are you seeing is the next question that the uh, that the psalmist asks in verses three and four. So we're contrasting two kinds of life here. Uh, The blessed man is not this. He is this. uh, And then he gives us verses three and four. He is like a tree planted by streams of water that yields its fruit in its season And its leaf does not wither. In all that he does, he prospers. The wicked are not so, but are like chaff uh, that the wind drives away. The man who says no to the sin of the world in verse 1 and yes to the Torah of the Lord in verse 2 is a, the Bible says, is a tree planted uh, who uh, yields its fruit in its season. Fruit bearing planted tree. This is the blessed man. Now, of course, the way of the righteous is the, uh, we need to think about this, is the transplanted life. Notice how the Bible says in verse 3, he's like a tree uh, planted. Uh, In our case, we are like a tree, of course, transplanted because our natural, where where we're growing naturally, well, the, the ground's been poisoned by sin. And uh, so by this fact alone in verse 3, where it's being hinted at here that, no, this righteous, this righteous uh, living doesn't come naturally to us. We have to be, we have to be planted by God himself. That's his work of grace uh, in the life of sinners. Our native soil is sin. Uh, but when we've been, by God's grace, plucked up out of our natural soil and been planted by the Lord himself by streams of water, then we bear Great fruit. Turn with me, if you would, over to Psalm uh, 92, because there's a beautiful image of that. Uh, this, well, the same image that's uh, fleshed out a little further in Psalm 92, verses 12 to uh, 12 to 14. The same image, Psalm 92:12 says, "The righteous flourish uh, like the palm tree and grow like a cedar in Lebanon. They were known for their their wood. Solomon wanted that wood." They're planted, verse 13, they're planted now, they're planted in the house of the Lord. They flourish in the courts of our God. They still bear fruit in old age. They are ever full of sap and green. Now this helps us because Psalm 1 says he's like a tree planted by streams of water. And then Psalm 92 tells us, well, flushing that out, it means to be, to be planted by streams of water. It means you're, you're planted in the house of the Lord. Among God's 
people. The righteous flourish, they grow, and they bear fruit. Psalm 92 says they are ever full of sap and green. Now, that's a great, that's a great combination, the Bible says. When you're planted, a tree planted by streams of water, as a Christian believer, God's planted you there by His grace. Uh, you're, that is, within, ever full of life. And, uh, and, uh, and, and, and your leaf does not wither. There's fruit because the sap, you know, is flowing within. Of course, that's the, the work of the Lord, the work of the Holy Spirit. But here in this image of a tree, but with living sap within, uh, always, always green, well planted, stable, uh, full of life. I think of, um, I think of senior saints in the church who uh, may have been walking with the Lord for, uh, for a long time. But because they're planted by streams of water, no matter what age they are, uh, they are ever full of sap and green. There is still uh, there are leaves on the tree uh, of the one planted in the house, Psalm 92 says, of, of the Lord. Now, that's important. So the blessed man is not at home in the world of sin, but you know where he is at home? And where she is at home? Where she knows she belongs? In the house of the Lord. Among the people of God. And God's Word and the fellowship of the saints and so forth, pictured by the Bible as as streams of water that feed you and make you grow and make you bear more fruit than ever than ever before. Uh, you will flourish in the house of the Lord. You will flourish when you're planted by streams of water. You will flourish when your meditation day and night is on the word of the Lord. Now, we're really into flourishing today. It's a big, uh, it's a common, uh, uh, the culture has taken on this idea of human flourishing. Uh, in fact, uh, I was reading a, a while ago, CNN had a story a while back. Uh, on the eastern edge of the Himalayas, nestled between India and Tibet, lies the tiny nation of Drukyul, better known as Bhutan. Fiercely proud and protective of its traditions, Bhutan has been closed to outside influences for centuries. The nation only opened its doors to this, think about this, the, only, the nation only opened its doors to tourism in the 1970s, and has decided to take a unique approach to westernization, creating a concept known as the Gross National Happiness Index. Don't be fooled by the name, CNN writes. This is not just a measure of how much people smile and laugh. It's a holistic approach to sustainable development. Gives as much weight to human flourishing uh, as, it does, uh, as it does wealth. And so they give a whole list of things that uh, they ask questions about. They ask questions of people in their country. For instance, how happy did you feel yesterday? Uh, how often did you practice meditation? They'll say things like this. They have a whole list of things that it includes. Uh, but here's the interesting thing. There's something that it does not Include When they measure someone's, um, uh, whether they're flourishing or not, they've got psychological state, they've got economic state, and so, so, so like this. But they're missing something. Prime Minister explains this way. Since I came from a traditional family, I always thought we should help others, she says. Uh, I, thought being, I thought being religious is the way forward. So on that note, I really wanted to be a monk. My mother said, this is what she said to, to her uh, daughter who wanted to be religious. Uh, my mother said, why not be a doctor so that you can be really of help to the needy ones? And so I decided to be a doctor. 
instead. So they've got a whole list of things they, they check people for, for this gross happiness index. Uh, but what they don't ask people about is religion. What do you believe about, uh, about God? And as long as they uh, keep God out of their index, uh, it will always be, of course, very much skewed. Because the Bible says, on the contrary, true flourishing only comes from being planted by streams of water in the house of the Lord. He has planted you there. It's all by his grace. Um, And when that happens, there will be great fruit. I think of Jesus' image in Matthew 13 when he's talking about the word of God as, as um, you know, seed that's planted in the soil of our heart. And when that seed goes in uh, to that prepared soil, uh, it bears fruit 160, 30 fold. There is great fruit. And here the Bible says that tree yields its fruit in its season. Someone planted by God, by his grace, in the gospel, uh, in, in what Christ has done for us, that person, the Bible says, will, uh, as they meditate on the law of God, they will, they will yield their fruit. Isn't that interesting? In its season. It will come. It will come. Ah. But as we know around here, it's such a wonderful time. Spring is in the air. As we drive to worship uh, from Mullica Hill, uh, all of a sudden, it was just one Sunday, all of a sudden we saw these... these uh, uh, blooms on the trees. And we don't know fruit very well, so I don't know if that's an apple tree or pear tree or whatever it is. But you've got white blooms, you've got pink blooms, and, and, uh, and you, can, you can smell those blooms. No fruit yet, but you know the fruit's coming. It's growing. And you can smell it. It's on the way. In California, uh, the orange trees would bloom. And when we drove to church, well, you'd know when, when they were getting ready because you would smell orange. Well, there weren't oranges yet, but they were coming because the work was being done. And it's the same way with the believer, you see. Planted in the streams of water that they're nurtured and, they're, and, and, the, and the fruit comes. You can't manufacture fruit yourself. The fruit just fruit grows as you're planted, as you're meditating on the Word of God. It's worked in you by God Himself. The same, of course, with the fruit of the, the Spirit of God. We can't fake that, right? You can't fake that. Just like you can't, you know, you can't put apples on that tree until they, until they grow there, right? You can put fake apples on the tree, but they're not really apples, you know? And so, uh, yields its fruit. Christians, believers, the righteous, yield fruit in their season. And simply, the, the psalmist tells us all that he does, he prospers. That means that all that, all that he does, it is well. You know, there is blessing. There is the blessing uh, of, of God. Um, just turn to me one more time. Psalm 128, because we don't want to miss this. What is this? What is primarily this blessing? Well, Psalm 128 helps us. The first couple of words and verses of Psalm 128. Blessed, there it is again. Blessed is everyone who fears the Lord, who walks in his ways. That's a good summary of the first part of Psalm 1. And you shall eat the fruit of the labor of your hands. You shall be blessed. And it shall be well with you. That is, you know uh, the blessing of God upon your life. That's what blessed means. To know the favor of God upon you. The the blessing of God is the, the smile of God. 
upon you. And this is for believers. This is the blessed man knows that God's favor rests upon us. Now, that doesn't mean there's no trouble for the believer. Of course, if you read the rest of the psalm, you say, well, wait a minute. Psalm 1 starts with David saying, um, you know, in all that, or the psalmist saying, uh, in all that he does, he prospers. And then you say, well, wait a minute. What about this psalm and this psalm and this psalm and this psalm and this psalm? He, he seems to be struggling. But to prosper, to know the blessing of God, doesn't mean you don't suffer. In fact, in 1 Peter 4.14, the Apostle Peter will say, you know, again, he'll talk about it. Don't think it a strange thing if you suffer for the sake of the name. Uh, but you are blessed. That is, in your suffering, you are still, uh, you are still the blessed of God. These folks in Tennessee uh, who had the gospel come to them today, these murders this past week, does God somehow not love them? Uh, no, they are those, even though they're suffering, uh, they are the blessed. Because the smile of God rests upon them and the peace of God rests upon them. Because they are, they are planted uh, by streams of water. And simply the psalmist says the wicked are not so. There is, no, uh, there is no rootedness, there's no plantedness, there's no blessing, there's no sense of God's smile on their life. Uh, instead, they're like the chaff that the wind drives away. Unrooted, easily blown about chaff is that debris separated from the grain. Uh, there's a story told of Horace Greeley. Uh, Horace Greeley, you might know, was the editor of the New York Tribune in the 19th century for over 30 years. Very famous fellow in the mid, mid-19th century. He founded, or tried to found, uh, some 40 communes during the 1840s. He tried to form, you know, uh, 40 different communes where he would have some kind of sense of, of belonging, and, and, and they failed. He ran for president in 1872, uh, lost. And here's the thing, though. After the election, this man looked back on his life. He viewed it as a waste and a sacrifice to one foolish crusade after another. And in a statement not long before his death, this is what he wrote about his life. He said, I stand naked before my God, the most utterly, hopelessly wretched and undone of all who ever lived. I have done more harm and wrong than any man who ever saw the light of day. And yet I take to God to witness that I've never intended to injure or harm anyone. Uh, but this is, no, this is no excuse. That's amazing, right? This man felt like chaff. That anything, everything he'd ever done, no fruit, no blessing. The Bible says the wicked have no firm root and no solid ground. Well, all of this, of course, is leading to the last couple of verses. Um, Therefore, the wicked will not stand in the judgment. This is where this is going. Nor sinners in the congregation of the righteous. For the Lord knows the way of the righteous, intimately knows the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked will perish, and we don't have enough time to consider this last point as much as we would. But we have to ask, where are we standing? What fruit are we seeing? And which way uh, are, you, are you going? There was a man who uh, had opportunity to go to Israel uh, one day, and uh, he had opportunity to speak to a large gathering of Jews and Arabs, and uh, he took for the subject of his address the first psalm. 
So he read this psalm. So Jews and, and the folks there in the, in the Middle East, he read this psalm. And then he asked the question, who is, who is this blessed man of whom the psalmist speaks? What man never walked in the counsel of the wicked or stood in the way of sinners or sat in the seat of mockers? So that's a good idea. So you're in Israel, you read out Psalm 1, and then he said, well, who, whoever did this? And so nobody spoke. So then he said, well, uh, was he our great father Abraham? And uh, one old man apparently said, no, it can't be Abraham. He denied his wife and lied about her. Uh, well, he said, the speaker, how about the lawgiver Moses? No, someone said, can't be Moses. Killed a man, lost a temper uh, by the waters of Meribah. Can't be him. Then he suggested David. And people didn't have to think long before, no, it wasn't David. And then this fellow tells a story. There was silence for a long while. Then an elderly Jew arose and said, My brothers, I have a little book here. It's called the New Testament. I've been reading it. And if I could believe this book, if I could be sure that it is true, I would say that the man of the first psalm was Jesus of Nazareth. And we say, yes, amen. You see, this psalm is not about us uh, becoming righteous somehow by walking in the ways of the Lord and obeying uh, his law. We can't do that. That's why the psalm already tells us, no, uh, the, the righteous is someone who has been planted. That is, we've already received God's grace and been planted uh, by those streams uh, of water. But those who walk in, the counsel, walk in the counsel of the wicked, who stand in the way of sinners, sit in the seat of scoffers, they, the Bible says, there, there's no hope for them in the judgment. This is a very sobering psalm. They will not stand in the judgment when the, uh, when the righteous judge, King Jesus, returns. Uh, those, who, those who have rejected him, uh, who have rejected his ways, um, they will not be able to stand in the judgment. That is, they will have no justification in the judgment. They will have no uh, excuse before God. They will have no righteousness to offer God. Uh, they will not be able to stand. That is, they will be, they will be condemned to suffer the penalty of their sin. So then, of course, the question is, well, who then can, can stand? Uh, well, of course, the Bible tells us the answer uh, to that question in the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. In the book of Romans, the Apostle Paul wonderfully says this, there is therefore no now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Friends, this psalm is about the righteous and the wicked. It's about the righteous uh, who have been planted by God, streams of water meditating on his his word, not feeling at home in the world of sin, uh, but at home planted in the house of the Lord, among the people of God who also have experienced his grace. And their delight is to walk in the ways of the Lord, not because they are righteous in themselves, but because they are they are meditating on that instruction of the father. And as they meditate on that instruction of the father, what do they read? They read that the only way that they might stand before a holy and righteous God is by embracing the one who himself has fulfilled all that Psalm 1 is speaking about. He is the one, the Lord Jesus, 
who does not walk in the counsel of the wicked, stand in the way of sinners, or sit in the seat of scoffers, but his delight supremely is in the law of the Lord. And on his law he meditates day and night. You remember the Lord Jesus says, this is my food and drink to do the will of my Father in heaven. He is our righteousness. And everyone who believes in the Lord Jesus is not condemned, but instead shares something of that, of that life uh, that is only ours through faith in Jesus, that we might ourselves walk uh, in, his, in his ways. But in this world in which we live, uh, you know, there's many people that hate this song. There's many people that hate this song because it tells us, and even within the professing church at times, they hate this psalm. Why? Because the Bible says there are only two ways. And we say, wait, wait a minute, isn't there a third way? What about if I kind of like righteousness, but like a lot of the world too, and it's sin? And the Bible says no. And someone might say, well, wait a minute, there's a narrow gate, and there's a wide gate. Isn't there a medium-sized gate? <laughs> you know, that I can just, you know, kind of... And the Bible says no. And you've heard a lot in our culture about what our culture cannot stand... Uh, is uh, in any kind of discussion is what's called binary thinking, which means there is this way and there is this way and there's nothing in between. And our culture says, I, we hate that. Male, female, no. You can have every sorts of thing in between. Oh, I don't think it doesn't carry over to the gospel. And just destroy, seeks to destroy the faith of Christians and young Christians too in our church. The Bible says, don't... Do not be deceived. Do not be deceived, says John. Those who practice sin, make a practice of sinning, uh, are not of the Lord. And everyone is trying to deceive Christians today. That's why we need to go back to the Bible. Back to Psalm 1. There are two ways. There's the way of blessedness, rooted in faith in Jesus, the righteous one. And there is the way that leads to death. May we faithfully, day by day, proclaim first to ourselves, to our children, to all those God places in our path this week, these two ways, and then point them uh, to the only one uh, who can give them life, that they too uh, might bear fruit, even in old age, planted in the house of the Lord. May that be true of us. Let's pray uh, together. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. We know, Lord, that, uh, Lord, it's a challenge for us. Lord, to be able to swim in the waters of your word and to be able to, to understand and to believe and to take to heart and apply to our own life. And so, Lord, we thank you today that we might be in the house of the Lord even now among your people. But, Lord, that we would find we, we belong here, that this is where we long to be and we long to meditate on your word and your instruction for us and especially, Lord, your instruction to us that it's the Lord Jesus Christ himself uh, who uh, is the one who is the, the yes and amen to all the promises of God, and He's the yes and amen to this, this psalm. So that because we are sinners, we, we find hope in, in Him. And when we think about the judgment and who could possibly stand, we know we can't stand in ourselves. We're not righteous in ourselves. But we have one who's been righteous for us, who has died for us, and who gives us His own righteousness. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Help us, Lord, to present that to our own hearts, to our children, and to the world itself, that we too might find others who would join with us in the only way that leads to life, the Lord Jesus himself. 
And we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.